Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. All right. Did you bring a Bible with you today? I hope you did, and if you didn't, I bet you you could find it on your phone. Uh, we're going to look in the Bible today as we would any week when we gather together. And uh, I, I just want to kind of clarify some house etiquette, some normalcy, okay? Maybe it's been a while since you've been in church. Maybe it's your first time in church. But you're allowed to make noise in church, all right? Yesterday, I was at my son's basketball game. He's in grade eight, and he's in kind of a pre-season season. They play on Saturdays and and thus far this season, every week when we've gathered, they've let us know as parents we're not allowed to observe for safety and protocols. And so there's like huddling parents standing outside of the room looking through a window together, all leaned up on each other's shoulders, faces cheek to cheek. It's awesome. And, uh, and, and it's been kind of like, you know, trying to see who's what and trying to, to engage because our kids are in grade eight. It's their first experience in a setting like this, is their first competitive experience in in this particular size of of arena, a field of play. Yesterday, for whatever reason, maybe just the the intense pouring rain, the door was just open. So I walked right in along with some other parents, and it was kind of like, hey, if we just don't move and we just don't say anything, maybe we can just stay. And, uh, and, and, and we got into the game, and sure enough, there we were in the room. It was crazy. But parents aren't able to really stay that quiet, are they? And uh, particularly, I was by this one dad, and uh, he was the type of dad who kept a notepad and was taking down all the specific statistics for his son only. He's like, he, he always wants me to see this. And he's going, oh, that's not your shot. He's, he, he's commentating on his, his son's play. And not only was he commentating on his son's play, but he was commentating on the, the, the work the referee was doing, okay? And so as the referee was trying to apply his trade and do his job, this man was encouraging him that he could do it better. And, uh, and because there was no grandstand set up, no spot for parents to stand, we were just standing physically underneath the hoop. And this guy, in his passion, uh, was just kind of like counting really loudly when somebody was standing in the key, just to help the ref, like just to serve them in that way. It was really great. He's like, one, two, three, ref, three, ref, three, ref. And he's making, and every time the, the ball went out of bounds or out of play, he was, he was sort of making sure that the ref could touch base with him just to see his input in case he wanted to know. It was amazing. The ball always went out in favor of his son's team. It was awesome the way it worked. Well, we were only like maybe eight or nine minutes into the game, and the ref blows the whistle and comes over. He's like, hey, man, thanks so much for being here. He was a really nice guy. He's like, I'm really glad you're here. If you could, though, if you could just let me ref this game, because uh, it's actually my job, and uh, I don't need your help. And he goes, hey, no, hey, no, I was actually just cheering. And he was kind of like behind the anonymity of his mask. He's like, oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting that the referee, he's going, hey, it's actually my job. And so if you could essentially just kind of be quiet and let me 
do my job. Well, I'm not that ref today. I, I, I'm all about the other way. You can cheer. You can make some noise. If you think I'm getting out of bounds, you can stand up and start counting. If you think it's going too long, you're like, Pat, you can go one, two, three, get off that point, Pastor. Four, get off that point. Pastor, enough is enough. I just want to hear you in the room. I'm grateful that you're here, okay? And so you're allowed to make a little noise. In fact, I think that a loud church gets shorter preaching. It's true. It, oh, wow. Okay. We, we have hit a spot. Okay. It's just true. A loud church tends to get a little bit shorter preaching because the communicator knows, oh, you understand what I'm saying. I'll just move on then. Okay? So, so let's do this thing together. Let's see if God would speak to us together. In fact, I really do believe that when the Bible is opened, God is speaking. He is talking. He is communicating. And so often when Jesus would talk, he would add this little statement at the end. He'd say, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, like, yes, the, the inside of your ear is being stimulated by sound waves, but, but let it go deeper than that. If you're hearing it, make sure it penetrates your heart as well, and that there's actually a willingness to be responsive to what you hear, and if you will, the Bible says that the Word of God never returns void. It brings a harvest in our lives. I don't know about you. I want God's harvest in my life. I would love for God to be planting seed in my life right now that would reap something beneficial in the future. Are you with me? So, so why don't we just prepare our hearts for that? Jesus, I pray today that in this room, you would have our full undivided attention. We give you this time and this space. You are here now. And I pray that you would speak to us, that as you are communicating, we wouldn't just listen, but we would have ears to hear. I thank you in advance for the things you're speaking to us that aren't even uh, prepared in my own mental notes that I don't know yet you're about to speak, but you're going to speak to the hearts of individuals. We cherish these things. We hold on to them. I pray that action would follow through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All month long we've been looking at this theme here now, the, the presence of God. Uh, I love it in the Bible, God is in the business of revealing himself. He's in the business of communicating to us who he is and what he's like. God reveals himself, the Bible says, through nature even. In the beginning of Romans, it says like the greatness of God is depicted to you if you just look around and see what God is up to. Is nature God? No, but it is his handiwork. God reveals himself through history. You can look back and see the providential hand of God at work, how he moves through the ups and downs of interpersonal interactions of societies and nations. God is revealing himself. God reveals himself through scripture, the written word, and he is communicating, putting on, on the, the hearts and minds of writers across the span of about 1,600 years in three different continents to communicate uh, what God was speaking, his God-breathed inspirational word. God reveals himself most brilliantly through Jesus and then through the Holy Spirit, who he pours out that confirms the words we see in Scripture. God's always been revealing himself. And, and, and I love if you begin to look through the names by which God is comfortable to call himself. It, inspired in the, the Psalms, you'll see names like Fortress, Shield, Rock, Defender. You, you'll see throughout the book of John things like Counselor, 
helper. You'll see descriptions that are, are beautiful and poetic, like Jesus is the rose of Sharon. And I'm like, I've never been to Sharon. I, I like a good rose every now and again. Not sure exactly what that means. He is the lily of the valley, meaning he is the fairest of them all. Like there's all these beautiful uh, poetic ways of, of describing Jesus. We've been looking specifically at this one metaphor of God being our shepherd. We're going to do that a little more today. But I love this, that, that, that when God reveals himself to Moses, Moses is in a particularly uh, difficult place. He feels it would be difficult to follow and obey God uh, when nobody is going to believe him. He's just convinced that everyone's going to think he's crazy. And he goes, God, and, and guess what? While he's speaking, by the way, he's speaking to God manifesting himself in a bush that is burning but doesn't burn up. And he's like, I don't know if I just ate something crazy. I'm not sure. And he's like, I, I might have like accidentally picked one of the poisonous mushrooms. In our, house, in our yard now, we, like the other morning we woke up and it's like Mario came to visit our front yard. These massive mushrooms. And uh, we were looking at like, they're like this big overnight. They just popped up. Apparently really, really poisonous. So don't eat the big red mushrooms, okay? He's like, I don't know exactly why God's talking to me through a burning bush. He goes, you're asking me to go and stand before the leader of the known world and tell him to let your people go? This is not going to go well. He's like, who should I say is sending me? Like, like, like just my own words? And I said, like, 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 because he said he stuttered. And he goes, who's sending me? And God says, well, you can just let them know I am has sent you. Isn't that crazy that God reveals himself in the most present tense that you could possibly use? Now, we know that, that God was before time. In fact, he is the initiator of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see time, space, and matter all in one sentence that God is the initiator of. So it would be accurate for God to say, I was. That would be completely accurate, but he didn't choose that revelation. He said, I am. We also know, if you continue reading in Scripture, that God always will be. He is eternal and he is perfected in himself, needing nothing. He is completely self-sufficient, self-sustaining, and he always will be. So he could say, just let them know that I will be sent you. And that would be accurate, but it wasn't the, the, the tense that he chose. What he chose was, I am has sent you. The, the, the present one, here, now. He said, Moses, here's how you're going to know that I'm with you, because I will be with you. You're just going to have to step out and understand that wherever you go and whenever you go, I will be here now. I am present with you. And so all month long, we've been looking at this. Typically, in the month of October, we have sort of a vision for our church for the year, often with great direction. This is the fifth year that Vivid's been a church, and we definitely didn't anticipate the last year and a half in our vision statement a couple of years ago. It was funny. We didn't do this, but a lot of churches like, 2020, a year of vision, a year of clarity. Uh, yeah. It's great. It used to be a thing, I don't know why, years ago, we used to rhyme. It was like, 2005 is a year to thrive, you know, and then, then it, gets, it goes further. You're like, 2014 is a year for blorting. Now nah, we can't do it anymore. But, 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 but this particular year is, is simply this statement, here, now. 
I don't know where we're going, but I know God will be with us. I don't know what the future holds, but I know he's holding the future, and he's got us, and he's got the whole world in his hands. And so we're just going to do our best to draw near to God, because he is I am. He's the one who reveals himself as ridiculously present. I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to find myself living in my past, regretting the mistakes I've made, replaying the conversations I wish I had had. I don't want to live in my past, you know, playing the highlight reel of the best of. You know, it gets to Boxing Day and on every channel it's like the best plays of the year, the best news stories of the year, the best whatever. I don't know if there would be any news stories that would be on the best list this year. I don't want to just live in the highlight reel, looking back, going, these are my past accomplishments. And I certainly don't want to live in the anxiety of tomorrow and the unknown of tomorrow. I really don't want to live in a a pining type of attitude, like once everything changes in the future, then I'll feel different. I want to be ministered to right here now. How about you? I believe that God is present. He he, he says this, he is our ever-present help. In case you ever wonder if there is a nuance, like the one kid in class who goes like, but what if, it's like God's okay with that question, but what if, no, I will be your ever-present help. The Bible's pretty emphatic. It says things like this, he's our ever-present help in time of trouble. It also says we are more than conquerors. I know what conquering's like. I wonder what more than conquering is like. That's our reality because of the presence of God. He's here now. And so we've been looking at Psalm 23. We're going to open it up again today. And uh, you can anticipate that throughout this month we'll continue to do so. Uh, Psalm 23, if you have your Bible, open up there with me. And I'm going to read to you this passage of Scripture that will feel familiar to some. I I give a little bit of of background because I feel like it would be foolish to assume that everyone follows through in every thought process. In fact, last week was Thanksgiving, and there was a lot of people celebrating with turkeys other places. And so here we are in the room. Check this out, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This beautiful, connected thought about God, being so present, it's like a shepherd, helping us navigate every step. A God who his very presence means we lack nothing. What a refreshing thought. The fact that he's here now means you can be refreshed in your soul, that you can actually have a vitality in life in that inner part of who you are. The fact that he's here now, he's able to help us navigate what green pastures look like and what quiet water looks like and and get to where we're trying to be. Not only is his presence here now refreshing, but it also, we looked last week, uh, uh, is what makes us right 
Righteousness is not a factor of good intention. It's not the outflowing of a person who really wants it. It's not a person who wakes up in one morning and says, today I will be really good. There's no one who's righteous, not even one. But God makes an exchange with us. His perfection for our brokenness, that is a good trade. He's willing to make that exchange with us continually. And so every day his mercies are new. Every morning, great is his faithfulness. I try my best. If I string two or three days together of really wanting it, I feel like I am crushing. But here's God, through the ages, he is faithful, keeping all his promises. It says this, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Not because because I'm approved for trying hard, but because he is approved in his character. He never changes. And so he moves us through right paths. And some of those right paths, lead us through painful times. Times where we feel like, man, is God for me or against me? Well, he's always for us. And he, he, he definitely disciplines us. And he certainly defends us, helping to get us where we need to go. And so David could conclude, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's amazing that it's in the valley of the shadow of death that, that he changes his perspective from, oh, let me tell you about God. He's my shepherd to I have experienced you as my comfort. You're what makes me right. Like the right things about my life are all attributed to God. His presence here now is what makes me right. But this week I want to look very briefly at the reward that comes with the presence of God. Do you know there is a reward that comes in the presence of God? His, the fact that he's here now brings reward. It results in reward. The other day, I was looking through an old box, and I found, I found this little Bible. Little Bible. I don't know if anyone's ever had a Bible that, that's about this size. It, it has just the New Testament and then Psalms and Proverbs in it. And, and so I, I remembered this Bible, and I opened it up, and in, in page one, there's an inscription, uh, you know, a little handwritten note from my grandparents who gave me this Bible. They gave it to me on my fourth birthday. And, uh, and it says this, to Justin, our first grandson, happy birthday. Four years old, March 19th, 1986. You can do some math. Your pastor's about to turn 40. Okay. It says this, live by the Bible and you will be happy. We love you, Grandma and Grandpa. Live by the Bible and you will be happy. And they told no lies. Live by the Bible and you will be happy. I think we downplay the importance of happiness we downplay. We think of it as that, that thing, if you have it, good. If you don't, you shouldn't complain about it anyway. But happiness is derived and created and initiated in the heart of God. It is his design for us that we would live lives that are happy, that are full, that, that there is joy. In fact, it says this in the New Testament, that in God's presence, check it out, there is a fullness of joy, another emphatic statement. There's not just joy compared to a lack of joy. There's a fullness of joy. However big a container you could imagine storing joy in, in the presence of God, it's filled right up. In fact, David says this, it overflows. There's joy in the presence of God. It's Jesus who says, I believe in Matthew, uh, John 13, he, he's washing his disciples' feet and he finishes the task and he goes, do you catch what I'm doing? And one of the disciples was probably like, you washed our feet. It's like, no, it was rhetorical. He goes, I'm serving you, 
And if now you would do the same, you will be happy. It's this Greek word makarios, which means to be happy. We translate it as blessed, and then we get too holy for our own thinking. We're like, oh, God, speaking of blessing, it certainly would never affect my emotional state. It's just a very somber feeling to be blessed. If I do the will of God, I'll get super serious, but I'll feel good about myself. No, Jesus says, if you would follow through on the plans that I have for you, you'll actually be happy. You'll experience happiness. You'll experience joy. If you're any less than happy, don't give up. If you're any less than happy, don't, don't, don't just resign yourself to the fact that, well, life's hard. Jesus said life would be hard. He said you will have trouble, but then he resolves with this. But, but don't lose heart, because I've overcome the world. So you actually get to live above the system of your circumstance. The, the, the system of your circumstance would say when bad things happen, your happiness, which is linked to happenings, is gone. But, but in the presence of God, he's always at work. He's always doing something. There's always something happening in the, in the heavenly realm because he's here now. And so we actually can anticipate a reward, a happiness. Let, let me very quickly draw your attention before we come back to, to Psalm 23, to Psalm 103. If you have your Bible, turn over to Psalm 103. Check this out. Probably uh, right up there with my favorite psalms. If you've been around Vivid for a while, you've heard me preach this before. I'm not going to fully preach this, but I do want to highlight it for you. Psalm 103, it says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All the rewards of praising God. All the rewards of the presence of God in our life. The fact that he's here now. He says this, oh, God, he forgives all my sins. That's a reward. He heals all my diseases. That's a reward. He redeems my life from the pit. That's a reward. He crowns me with love and compassion. That's a reward. He satisfies my desires with good things. I'm grateful that God doesn't satisfy my desires with bad things. It means this, that he satisfies all my good desires. I have some negative desires. I'm grateful that God starves those out of me. I don't want to have my negative desires satisfied, but he satisfies my desires with good things. That's a reward. He says this, your youth will be renewed like that of an eagle. That's a reward. Goes on in verse 10 to say this, God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. There's a reward in the presence of God. The fact that he's here now brings reward. I, I want to try to stir some faith in your heart and to believe that in the days to come, you can anticipate a reward. You can anticipate some blessing. You can anticipate some happiness to come in your life. David is speaking, goes, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil. Why? Because you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me, meaning you, you're hands-on with my life. Don't you believe God's a little hands-on with your life? I, I think we tend to think uh, on one side or the other that God is actually, he, he's either really involved with only the bad things that happen in our life. Why? You know, we, we forget about God until things go bad. And other people only believe God is at, at work when things they perceive as, as positive go. I got a parking spot. Praise God! But he's actually hands-on in every circumstance, sometimes with the rod and sometimes with the staff. 
a rod to defend us and a staff to lead us. And if you could understand the nuance that comes in the presence of God, you would find yourself happy that he's at work in the goods and the bads. I'm happy that God's at work when he says yes to what I'm praying for. I've also grown to become happy when he says no to what I'm praying for because he has something better in store for me. If you believe that, you should give God some praise today. He's got something in store for you. And then David, in this short little poem, he, he flips the metaphor. This is so deep, you could call it a meta five. Yeah, I know. Couldn't resist. Did that one online. I got about as sincere of a laugh in the room as I got online with no one else in the room. It's deep. It shifts. It goes from, I am a sheep and you are my shepherd, and, and, and grass, pasture land, water, uh, fearfulness, a uh, staff, and then it shifts real quick. Stanza two of this poem, just it shifts. It says, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. D David, what sheep has ever sat at a table? What sheep have you ever poured oil on? Where are you going with this? He's, he's shifting the metaphor. Because the, the more you learn about the presence of God, the nearness of God, it's like a, a precious gem that every time you turn it, you see a new facet. Every time you turn it, you see a new ray of light. You see new colors. You see new fullness. David's going, man, the nearness that, that I experienced in what was the darkest valley of my life reminds me of being invited to a feast. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It reminds me of experience anointing. You pour oil upon my head. It reminds me of your surplus. I don't just have enough. You, you satiate all my desires. It's an interesting picture to have a, a table prepared for you. Speaking of a feast, how many people like to eat? How many people had a feast in the last seven days or so? Maybe, maybe related to in some way or another Thanksgiving. How many people, uh, just the way you roll is you had multiple feasts in the last seven days or so, okay? How many people are like, I didn't even notice it was Thanksgiving. I just feast because I am. I feast, therefore I am. Okay, so, so he's speaking of, of a feast, and we might go, sounds yummy. But, but it, it's deeper than that. It's more significant than that. In the ancient Near East, the, the exchange of hospitality was seen as the highest stature you could have in society. It wasn't the, the, the money you had. It wasn't the clothes you wore, the house, the car you drove. It wasn't how many NFTs you have in your wallet. It wasn't any of those things. The, the status symbol was the way that you could exercise hospitality. So much so that if a stranger were in the, the center of a city and they had no place to stay, all they had to do is go stand in the city court, like in the center of the city, and people would come towards them and say, you need to come to my house. What they were saying is like, like this is my town. This is my, my house. I take care of you here. You don't have to take care of a thing. And, and, and what was seen was that in the exchange of hospitality, the host was making a commitment to the one they were hosting, I will protect you. You're now part of my family. You're now under my roof. You don't have to worry about a thing. I'll take care of you. I'll defend you. Make yourself at home. When, when David says this, 
I'm in this shadowy valley. It feels like death is around me, but at least you're here. But who else is here? My enemies. Who else is here? My haters. Who else is here? The, the, the people who opposed me, the forces that opposed me. And in the midst of that, God says, hey, allow me to prepare you a table. Not just because you look a little hungry, although that might be true, but I, I'm making a commitment to you. You're safe. I'm making a commitment to you. You are one of mine. I'm making this commitment to you. There's a reward in store. Come and have a seat. I, I love, I, you know, I, you know, I love it until I need it. This very thought that, that when we are in the presence of enemies, it's easy to pray this prayer. God, take them away. God, chase them off. Make my haters pay. I don't know if we have that many haters. A mean comment on Instagram is probably not a hater. But, but some of us do. Some of the time. We all experience some opposition, some very physical and fleshly, but often powers and principalities. That's what the Bible would say. We're not battling against flesh and blood, but there are powers and principalities, demonic forces at work always. And if we could have eyes to see them for a moment, it would either terrify us or excite us or a little mixture of both because we would understand that there are more for us than against us and the battle belongs to the Lord. But we come under opposition and we think, man, just take it away. Make things easy. God, why can't you just make this easier? And he goes, well, well here's why, because I'm just going to take care of you in the midst of it. Once I get through this, things will be easier. No, no, it can be easier right now. Once I know all the answers, you know, information will bring me peace. No, no, God's presence will bring you peace. You can have peace in a storm. You can have peace in the midst of, of your enemies. I, I actually have grown to kind of love it. I don't know how often I've had legitimate haters, but I've had a few. And one of the things that drives them crazy is God keeps blessing me. It just drives them crazy. And I feel like it's like God saying, oh yeah, don't go anywhere. You gotta watch this. Because this, this, this person is still my son. This is still my daughter. I still love them and so I'm gonna take care of them in your presence. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love it says before me because sometimes we attribute to God that he's always at work behind the scenes. God's always doing something behind the scenes. You can just never know what it is. He's like, no, no, I'm gonna do it right before your eyes. You can know what it is if you have eyes to see it. If you take your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off your problem, begin to magnify the Lord with me, you're gonna see he's preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And good things can happen even in bad situations. We can experience the nearness of God and the blessing of God even when it seems illogical to do so. He's preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I think there's times where God's like, hey, I'll deal with you in a minute, but not until you watch this. I'm about to feed someone. I'm about to take care of someone. And so we need to learn to be at rest instead of being restless. We need to learn to be at rest in the presence of God, to find comfort in the voice of God of our shepherd, to find comfort in the voice in the home and the house of our, of our host. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And then the Bible says this, he anoints my head with oil. More specifically, you anoint my head with oil. In the Old Testament, this is, is significant for a few things. 
Uh, one is just the extension of hospitality. It was very normal. You would wash, not with water, but with a little bit of oil. You got dust in your hair and all up in your beard and all over your hands and your feet. And so you take a little bit of oil and kind of rub it all through until it attracted all the dust and then towel it off. That was the way that you cleaned. You wouldn't come sit at a table without being able to first wash your hands to eat. COVID rules. Come on now. But he says this, not only do I have enough to wash, you anoint my head. It's it's an overindulgence. It's God saying, no, I want your whole life to be marked. And this picture of anointing, it it, it takes place for prophets, for priests, and for royalty. For, For those that God would speak through, for those who would connect with God on behalf of a larger people group, and those who would be responsible to lead. They're anointed and set apart. And anointing always represents that, that God empowers us to do the things he asks us to do. He actually gives us the ability and marks our life so that we can do the thing that he's called us to do. We did a series a few months back called Marked for More about that very thought that God has marked your life for a little bit more. He's anointed our life. David connects with this because he was anointed as king three times. Three times over different periods of life, all speaking of the same kingship. Once as a young child, once in Hebron, and once when he was finally king over the entire uh, uh, nation that God had called him to lead. And he goes this, God, what I'm recognizing is that you've got more for me than just the valley of the shadow of death. You've got more in store for me, and you've actually marked my life for it. And so as I'm seated at your table I can kind of disconnect from my circumstance for a moment and realize, you're really with me. You really have given me more than enough. You're pouring oil out on my head. You're marking my life for more. And my cup overflows. You ever been thirsty? That's the worst question I've ever asked publicly. And I've asked some bad ones. Of course you've been thirsty. Of course you felt that need to have a, a, a thirst satisfied. But God doesn't ration out his presence. He doesn't ration out his reward. He doesn't say, well, just a little bit now. you got to take it a little bit slower. He, he pours with a, an overindulgent kind of perspective. We might think that God is wasteful with his grace. But, but it's not wasteful because there's no end to his resource. We might be able to sing a song about the reckless love of God. But, but it's not so reckless because he doesn't have a confined, limited resource. It is a limitless resource. So he can spill it all out over, and he doesn't uh, become any less loving. He can really need to extend grace to my life without being short in any way for you, which is really good news for you, because I require a lot of grace from God. But he goes this, man, I, I thirst for some things, and when you come serve me, it's not like, well, you say when. You just pour, and it's crazy. It's spilling all over. All that wine is everywhere. This is a party. The table's been prepared. Like I'm somehow this guest of honor that gets anointed, and then you're pouring. My cup overflows. David is understanding a reward that comes in the presence of God. Being in the presence of God attracts reward to our lives. So there's two things we can do. Number one, two things we can do in order to prepare ourselves for for reward. Number one is we do work for it. We do work for a reward. It's biblical to think that we should put our effort, our energy, our resource, our time, our thought, our creativity towards the things that God cares about. Check out what it says here in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 3. 
I'm going to be speaking for about five more minutes. Those of you who need uh, a little breather, you can tell yourself, we got this. Five more minutes. I, I was shocked last week when someone said they found it cold in here because it's hot in here. Is anyone finding it cold in here? Anyone else? It's crazy. We need, to get, we need to get coffee set up in here. This is wild. Check this out, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you were working for the Lord, not human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. I love the assumption that Paul makes. You know you're about to receive a reward. Do you know it? Do you know it? That the moves you make for integrity when no one else is watching, God rewards those moves. That the, the time you don't engage in gossip when it would be easier to do so, God's like, that's what I'm looking for. And there's a reward in store. That the times where you prioritize following through on what you said you'd do, God's gone, that's what I'm looking for. That the times that it would be easy to cash out praise and to take a withdrawal from the praise that people give you, but you take a moment and you say, no, it's, it's, it's God at work in my life. God's rewarding you for that. That's how do we experience the reward of God? We do work for it. There is a, a work component for sure. There is that interaction. Check out what it says in, in Galatians chapter 6. And verse 9, it says, don't become weary in doing good, because at just the right time, you will receive a harvest if you continue in it. I want to encourage you, let's work for a reward. Why do we think we're holier than God? Oh, no, I don't do this for the reward. Why? Do we, do we forget the benefits? God, I'm so holy, you don't even need to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Just give me the will to keep fighting. And like, what? God's not like, hey, thank you for not indulging at the feast that I've prepared for you. It really shows me how much you care. The opposite. He's a rewarder. You can spiritualize everything in your life. I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, and God who has made me right is watching, and I have an inheritance in store, and so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with a good attitude. I'm going to do everything I do as unto the Lord. I'm not going to lose heart. When things get, get more difficult, I'm not going to stop because God is a rewarder. He's here now. He, the fact that he's here now means he's watching every move I make. Those, those moments in time where you're like, I could just deviate from my value set right now. Nobody's watching except for God who's here now. And he actually rewards those decisions. But we don't just work for it. We also wait for it. We also wait for it. We're going to conclude here today. If you could turn with me over to the, the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter 11. We'll end with this today. We, we wait for it, or we work for it, but we also wait for it. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How do you earnestly seek after God? You wait. You learn some patience. 
You pray instead of panicking. You worship instead of worrying. You stay in the moment. You stay here now. You get some anticipation. Something good's going to happen. We work for reward, for sure, but we also wait for it. It's what faith looks like. The other day I was running a few errands in the evening and had to pick up a couple things. And uh, when I was in the store, on one of those kind of end caps in a store, they got me. Don't usually get me. These ones got me. They, they had a, a, a toy that my kids like, specifically my, my younger sons, called a Beyblade. Anyone know what Beyblades are? Beyblades are, are like a little top like this, and it's made in three pieces. And, and uh, my son Zion, specifically, he's three years old. He loves bays. None of them are his. They're all his older brothers. Most of them came from exchanges and trades made at school. And they're like, yeah, you can use this one. It's not quite as good on defense or stamina. <laughs> they have, like, stats for them all. And, uh, and so Zion, like, when the older kids go to school... Zion is always saying to, to Jennifer, Mom, do you want to play bass? And like she said, there'll be times where it's like 45 minutes of just doing this. And, and, and it's got this little thing here. And, uh, and you, you kind of load it up. It makes that sound. And then at, at a certain time, they, they go, one, two, three, let it rip. Which I thought was just our kids, but it's actually like the official slogan. If you've never seen a bay, check it. It'll probably keep spinning. It's crazy. She broke it. She wins. Two points. <laughs> so I, I, I brought this bay home, and I said, hey, they, we just call them bay. They're not blades. They're just bays. I'm like, hey, Zai, I saw this, and I thought you might like it. And, uh, man, his face lit up. He was so excited. He goes, oh, my first bay. He's running around the house. He's like, Titus, do you want to see my bay? Arrow, do you want to see my bay? And they're all like, dude, oh, it's got a three for defense. And they're like, looking at all the stats with him. He has no idea what any of that means, but he's just excited. And, uh, and he's, he's, he's loving it. He didn't do anything good that day. Like there, was no, there wasn't a, oh, I want to make sure that Zion knows he, he did, the, did the right thing. I just saw it and I thought of him and I want to bless him. Because I'm his dad and I love him. And I loved the interaction. Like $8 smile, it was a million dollar smile. Oh, dad, my first, he's so excited. He's playing. I just want you to know, like, God is not withholding blessing from your life, waiting for you to impress him. He, you're just always on his mind. So there's times it's like God's like, I know who would love this right now. Like this sense of peace, Taddy. Hattie, oh, I love Hattie. Hattie would love some peace right now. Like, that's kind of the way God, God is. And, and the coolest thing that happened, it was almost nighttime, and, and Zion's getting to bed. He's like, can I sleep with my bae? He's got, got it tucked up beside him. And when I'm tucking him in, he, he goes, he's three years old. He goes, hey, Dad, thank you so much for my Beyblade. Soon, you should get me some more. And, and that, that's not a lack of gratitude. That's genuine gratitude and understanding 
the nature of your father. I was not at all disappointed because in that moment, I thought, that's what childlike faith looks like. Man, I've tasted just a little bit of how good it is to be cared for, to be loved, to experience some reward. I want more of this in my life. I'm telling you, why do we unlearn that dependence in our life? Why do we unlearn that childlike wonder in our life? God is still a rewarder. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because he's waiting to pour out blessing in our lives. And we're going, no, no, I don't need that. I've matured past that. It's okay. You've already given me more than enough. He's like, no, I want your cup to overflow. I want all that that, 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 that I have for you to be experienced in your life, always. There's a feast. I love what it says in Isaiah. It says, even if you have no money, just come and eat. Just buy it all. It's all free. Just have, have, have the richest, the best food, the greatest feast. That's what it's like to be in the presence of God. God, I love the way you've blessed me. Soon, could you bless me more? Can we pray together? Jesus, I love the way you've blessed us. As an individual, as a church, you've blessed us, God. You're so good. You're so faithful. And soon, would you bless us more? We want all that you have for us, God. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to get so stuck in our circumstance and what seems systematic. Bad things are happening, so I'm supposed to feel a certain sort of way. Instead, we want to experience the fullness of your blessing, your presence in our life. I love what you've done in our life. Would you, would you do it more? Would you do it more soon? Not just somewhere else, not just for someone else, but in my life, pray that I would experience your blessing, your reward. Just in a, in a quiet moment like this, Here's what I believe God is going to do, okay? God's allowed to communicate his own way, but this is what I sense and I believe he'll do. While we're quiet, there might be a thing or two that God speaks to your heart that would look like working towards a reward. There's, there certainly might be a thing or two. If you start to think of three or four or five or six things that you need to change, that's probably not God anymore because he doesn't really overwhelm us that way, but he's great at giving a next step. There'll be a thing or two, perhaps, that he begins to reveal to your heart that you can say, ah, I can make that change. It's probably time I make that change. And if God speaks to you in that way, why don't you in the quietness of your own heart just say yes to him? Say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to change that. I'm going to make that, make that adjustment. And what I know that God would do, if you'd let him, would be just to stir up a little faith in you to keep believing, to wait for him, to grow faith. I, I know because he's done it over and over again. Even for people who are like, yeah, I believe, but it's really hard to always believe. And he helps extend our faith. Jesus, I, I thank you that you're at work. Pray that you'd speak to us. It feels kind of like we're on a mission to receive that reward. Thank you for the ways that you've blessed us. Soon would you do it more? Thank you, God. With eyes closed, heads bowed, no one's looking around the room, but if you're here now and you're not in relationship with Jesus, don't leave today with that as your reality. You can make a determination in your heart to receive his grace. And the Bible says he hears you and he responds. 
And he doesn't prefer some people to others. And he doesn't make us prove it. He doesn't even treat us the way our sins deserve. He extends mercy. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, without anyone looking around, no eyes are open. Everyone's kind of in their own moment. But if that's you, you say, i got to make things right with God right now. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Maybe you've never been in a relationship with God, or, or perhaps you've gone your own way, and if this is your time. You're coming back. You're running back into the arms of God. Yeah, I see your hand. Who else? You say, this is me today. God's speaking to me about this today. Yeah, I see you. I see you. This is beautiful. And you're not alone in this. We're going to pray this prayer together, okay? We'll pray this prayer. We're in this thing together. God's drawing us as a people towards himself. So would you join your faith with me? And the people around you are probably going to just join uh, verbally as well so you know you're not alone in this. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for calling me. I sense you moving in my heart right now. And I'm repenting of my, my sin and receiving your grace and your love and your mercy in my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Vivid Church, can we give some praise to God for people finding hope in Jesus today? If you made that decision, it's, it's the greatest decision you can make. It's also the first of many. There, there is growth in store for you. God wants to help you move from strength to strength. We want to serve you in that as well. Come talk to somebody after one of our team. Uh, I'll be up here. I'd love to meet you. We've got a team at the Connect table, like I said, who would love to serve you in any way we can and help you in these next steps. Love you guys. Thanks for, for being with me. Guess what? I had, I had a screenshot on my phone, so I thought it was, I thought it was 20 after 12 because I guess I took the screenshot at 20 after 12, but it's a little later than that. I was ready to go into round two, but I'm not going to do it because we got another week. Okay, I'm not going to do it. I love you so much. We'll see you next Sunday. I hope you have a great week. Bring somebody with you. Let's make it uncomfortable in here and force the staff, whoever they are, to get this thing into two services, all right? Can we do that? Have an awesome week. We love you. God bless. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.